Hola. There you are. Hola, hola. I was going to say hola and tocola, but that's hola, not very hola, nice. Hola, hey. <laughs> so, struggle's real today. Yeah, it is. It's Monday. Feels like it should be Friday. The first day of October. Yay. At least, you know, for us, it'll be, it means that we're just below 100 for most of the month. Yeah. It's raining out, though, so um, lots of news coverage. Oh, yeah. Always. Because Arizona... In Ari- wow, we get excited. Because in Arizona, it doesn't rain at all. Well, at least not in the Phoenix part of it. Especially no. if you're in this, like, central corridor right here. Uh-huh. Whenever it's, like, monsoon season, we just watch the clouds <laughs> all the way around us. And it never Go seems to you. rain in this, this area right here. It rains everywhere else. Like, Scottsdale, like, on the west side. But everybody's like, oh, did it rain by you? Mm. You're like, nope. <laughs> Sprinklers were still on. Anyways, I'm Alma. I'm Yvette. And we this are Tipsy, Tipsy Tales. Here we are. It's uh, Monday. It's we Monday. Were just here Quick Friday. turnaround time. Although so, last week was kind of fun. I enjoyed spending uh, some time and hanging out and getting to know the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I lost my train of thought midway. Sorry. <laughs> was it here or Sedona? No, it was here. I actually enjoyed spending time with you is what it came down oh, to. I was yeah. going to put more detail to it and then my mind went blank, but yeah. <laughs> we were fine. here until like midnight. Actually, yeah. I got home and sort of was like, I thought you died. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm here, baby. How was Do your you weekend? Any... It was actually, it was pretty good. Yeah. It was relaxing. Chilling. Chilling. And doing anything interesting? No. no. Well, stayed home. Me and Talia actually uh, spend yesterday together because Sergio works, so um, she always likes to see what kind of movies are out there. Always something new. Surprisingly, she's a big, big 80s fan. So um, we're sitting there and I'm going through Netflix and Hulu and Amazon with all the movies there are and nothing to watch. So I passed by one that I'd seen when I was really young and totally freaked me out. We watched it and it was called The Stepfather. The original, I know they redid it again. I remember that. But but I remember watching the original one. So I put it on and I told Talia, let's watch it for like five minutes. If you like it, great. If not, no worries. Uh, Didn't it have the guy from RoboCop, the actor? No, he's um, Locke from Lost. John Locke from Lost. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. When I saw him, I was like, he was a guy from The Stepfather, and he scared me quite a bit, so... <laughs> yeah, that was one of those, I don't ever want my parents to get a divorce movie. <laughs> I had a stepfather, so... Eh. You related a little? No, not really. He didn't kill us all, but I'm sure he <laughs> wanted to at some point in time. Anyway, so we're watching that, and of course, the first scene comes out, and he's washing, he's washing his hands, and there's just blood from the washing and Talia's like I'm in hold on let me go get some pizza so she got up paused we went to get some pizza came back and of course she liked it so much that she um wanted to see another one so she's like mom mom do you have another movie you want to watch and I'm like yeah let's try this one it's not as good as the first one but either way it's kind of um it's actually my inspiration for today's story oh wow can't wait to hear it We talked about um, switching places, so next week we're going to actually... Switch places? Switch places, and you're going to do the scary story, and I'm going to do true crime. I was seriously stressing last night, because I'm having to come up with a a paranormal UFO strange story, and just reading these stories creeped me out. (laughs) I was a little 
scared. You're going to be like, Alma, no. <laughs> we changed our mind. <laughs> Nixed that opposite day. <laughs> I was just like thinking how fast the summer went by. It really did go fast. I mean, usually like, I don't know. Maybe because we didn't do a lot of th- stuff like we usually do in the summertime. I felt like we did stay home a lot more than a few years ago. So definitely. But it did. I felt like it did go by pretty fast. Yeah. We had a lot going on. I mean, between the day job, deciding to do this podcast, <laughs> which I guess I'm a glutton for punishment, but it, I, I'm happy. Me too. I get to see Fun. you every week, um, get to talk about bullshit. So yeah, I'm, I'm having a blast. It's kind of like therapy. These are therapy sessions for us. Yeah. You should see the conversation we have beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much after. Yeah. After we're like, okay. We're I'm like, tired. oh girl, you don't got to go home, but you cannot <laughs> stay here. <laughs> oh yeah. And then um, Albert decided to, well, it's been in the works for a while. But he decided to purchase the company he's been working for the for the past three years. So we've been working on that all summer. Yeah, promote that girl. Been, to oh the yeah, little bit of followers that we have. <laughs> <laughs> Touch up team. If you need car work, LLC, they go to your house. Yeah. Well, Arizona in the valley. In the valley, yeah. It's a mobile <laughs> uh, paint and bumper repair service, and they are mobile. So do a fantastic job. Check out the pictures. Check them out on IG. Yeah, I'll uh. We'll have to post it on our IG so that way it makes it easier. Yeah, definitely. There you go. Brain, brain, fry. <laughs> <laughs> Monday blues. Oh my God. But it's the 1st of October, like you said. So it is. It is. Sad, sad. 19 days. I will be a year older. And, um, oh, that's right. Your birthday is in October. Yeah, You're a Libra. I is. We're both air signs. That's why we get along so well. Yeah. As I do the air. <laughs> That's hilarious. As I do the air. No, I didn't do the air. I was doing an air dance. It just didn't completely come out. <laughs> so what kind of wine are we drinking, Alma? So Yvette brought us melodramatic darkness. Because, you know, we're a little melodramatic just a little. sometimes. I like how it says 25% damsel and 75% villain. That we did put on our IG. So let us know which one you are, villain or damsel. Exactly. Take that poll. And it's California red wine. It's a dark it's, red blend. Yeah, it's called darkness. Darkness. Ooh, ah, ah, ah. I love the um I love the, the cover. Yeah, I love the artwork. I agree. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, you have to check it out on the IG page. And so, taste it, because it's it, it's pretty good. But of course <laughs> I haven't met a wine that I don't like. like. So well, I actually have a small description. It says um it showcases an opulent black cherry and blackberry with hints of spicy mocha. Sips are bold, yet silky smooth with a long finish. Ooh. Ooh ah, ah. Anyways, hopefully we're going to be trying to do some interesting kind of darkish wines for the month of October. Yeah, because all of our stories are going to be pretty dark, but when aren't they? <laughs> but they're going to be darker. Sure. <laughs> Get ready, Yvette. Get ready. All right, all right, all right. Okay, what do you got for us today? Okay, so like I mentioned, I was actually um, watching a few movies with Talia yesterday, and so this one is, I self-titled it of sorts, called um, When a Stranger Calls, okay? And anybody who's seen that 80s movie, and I know they redid it 
poorly. Because for me, like some of the 70s and 80s movies still have that grittiness to it. So for some reason, and they actually let you use your imagination still. So it just makes you, it scares the bejesus out of me. Um, it actually scares the shit out of me. I'm not going to lie. So me and Talia <laughs> were sitting there just like, what's the next movie, mama? And I'm just like, let's watch this one. And I played her a trailer and she's like, oh no, I'm not ready for that one. <laughs> and what was that one? Black Christmas. Black Christmas? Yeah. I don't remember that. When was that? 1982-ish? I'm totally lying. It's just 1980s. I couldn't tell you exactly what year. Who was in it? People? <laughs> People? So, sorority girls? You know, isn't, 80s, isn't every 80s that. movie some sort of sorority girls haunt and scary and boo-ah-ah? Okay. Check bait. All right, what's the story? Okay, so I'm dang, she's like, get to get it. it. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what I meant. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you would have had a face accompanied with it. <laughs> my face never lies. Even if my mouth might. <laughs> oh, I know you long enough to know this. <laughs> All right, so I um, tend to forget to put my sources um, at the end of every story, so I'm actually going to start with my sources first. So the sources that I took the story from were from two. It's um, truecrimearticles.com and the Columbia, Columbia Tribune. So You're better than I was this time. I didn't copy and paste my sources. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either. I hand-wrote them. <laughs> I'll look them up while you're... <laughs> You're like, I will actively not be listening while you speak. No, 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 no. I'm listening. I'm, That's okay. That's I'm okay. I'm going to put attention. It's fine, like my dad fine, would say, fine. Put attention. Okay. So on March 18th, 1950, the small college town of Columbia, Missouri, um, people, it, look, people were going about their typical Saturdays, doing their errands, running around. A big storm was coming in. Um, and as... For a lot of young parents or parents in general, that's that big hunt for to find a babysitter. You know, who's taken, who's not taken, you know, can you babysit my kids? Okay, so the Romax called uh, Romax called 13-year-old Janet Christman, okay? Janet was a 13-year-old girl, 8th grader. She's a student at Jefferson Junior High School. She's described as a loving churchgoer, a go-getter. She has a knack for playing the piano for the choir. Um, she's also described as intelligent, especially for her age. Um, she's very independent. So she's the oldest daughter of three to Charles and Lula Christman, who own Ernie's Cafe and Steakhouse. The family lived on the upper floor of that restaurant and did well. So um, despite there being a party for that um, March 18th, um, Saturday night, she actually decided she was not going to go because she already had committed to babysitting for the Romax. Um, She was trying to get enough money because she had I guess I'm not sure if it's a layaway. They didn't call it layaway, but she was actually saving enough money for a burgundy um, outfit, colored suit is what it called, a burgundy suit that she was going to be wearing for an upcoming Easter holiday. And she was hoping that this babysitting job would actually give her the final amount she needed to be able to buy it. Okay. So, Sounds innocent enough. <laughs> yes, it does, ma'am. And not only that, but I mean, how sweet is that? You remember being... You remember being in those days where you would babysit for like hours for oh like God, five dollars? Yes. I'm like, they ripped us off. <laughs> I had these two little boys named Keith and Kyle okay. and they were just they were a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Keith and Kyle, if you're listening to the story, um, yeah. they were, were adorable, but they were a lot. Boys usually are, though. Yeah, they were. That was my first experience with two boys before I had my two boys. <laughs> so I guess I was uh, practicing. Training. <laughs> so the uh, Romax, um, they had recently moved from living within the city limits to just outside of Colombia. Miss Annie Romack was pregnant, and so, and due to the move and all the other stuff that goes along with transferring from one house to the other, they were exhausted. So when their friends had invited them to go uh, play a card game, they jumped at it as quickly as they could. They wanted to get out, go have a good time, blow off some steam. So that's exactly what they did. They turned around, like I mentioned, and asked Janet to come and babysit. So Janet gets there probably around 7.30, and then um, Mrs. Romack ensures... Um, Janet that her three-year-old son Gregory enjoys sleeping with the radio on that he shouldn't be too much trouble okay so um I'm not sure if it's because he lives so far away or not or not but um, Mr. Womack actually gave her a couple things that he wanted her to do while she was alone in the house like what clean the house <laughs> no, I'm I- getting to it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did that. Oh my God, so did I. I'm not even gonna lie. When you said Extra that, I'm five like, dollars if you do the dishes. Dollars. <laughs> I was like fifty cents. I gave fifty cents to you wash those dishes, and you're like, scrub, scrub, scrub. You're like a mountain of dishes, but <laughs> it's fine. It's slave labor, but it's I guess it's fine, right? <laughs> okay. So, like I had mentioned, when he got when um, she had gotten there, that Mr. Um, Romack actually had her do a couple things. Um, for one, um, he had he quickly taught her how to load and unload the and fire the shotgun that was there at the house in case anything happened. Oh wow! Right. So as they were leaving, uh, Mr. Romack that placed- had to be sorry. Good. That had to be in the 80s. Can you imagine like nowadays if a babysitter, if you taught the babysitter how to Right. They'd shoot themselves. <laughs> Cut that out. No, this is actually 1950. So remember, oh, I, um, March 18th, okay. 1950. Okay, okay, so this okay. is the 50s. It was just worse. So anyways, as they were leaving, um, Mr. Womack placed a gun near the front door and said that they would be back soon and advised her to lock the doors and turn the front porch light on if anybody came knocking. Um, with that, they departed, happy, good spirits, and off they went to have a good time. You know, like parents do or need should i say us being young parents we know that struggle so definitely a need so there had been um bad weather warnings like all morning so in sure fashion the the weather starts to get worse um throughout the evening temperatures begin to drop um to the mid-20s the storm bringing um rain um sleet um lots and lots of wind um the and because of that the, the police station is relatively slow so people are staying indoors as you know you'd expect for this sounds like the perfect setup for a horror movie <laughs> right <laughs> so that's exactly yeah, so that's that people are staying at home everybody's like uh, it's fine it's it's saturday not a lot's gonna happen i i like the foreshadowing where he's showing her how to use the shotgun <laughs> right <laughs> So around 10.45, um, the phone rang at the police station. Officer Ray McGowan picked up the receiver and asked what the emergency was. He was, the, he was immediately met with the howls of a woman screaming in, in, a, in a sheer panic, uttering the words, come quick. Oh, my God. However, be, before she could be identified um, on the phone, the phone was disconnected and all that was left was a dial tone. Fuck. 
Because it was so late at night, the test board at the telephone company was not staffed and the call could not be traced. God damn it. So the officer was left with the task of waiting in horror, hoping the young woman would call back and then replaying the haunt and just sitting there, just kind of replaying that haunting voice in his, in his head, just like, oh my God, I, what is going God, on? He had to feel so helpless. Exactly. So it was about that time that Anne Romack called home to check on Janet and see how the night was going with Gregory, but nobody answered the phone. So she just assumed that um, Janet fell asleep. It was late as about, you know, it was around 1030. So with that, they're like, she's fine. She's asleep. We're going to go ahead and play cards a little while longer. Oh my God. No worries. You know, hanging out <sighs> with their friends, you know, again, which is, which, which in all honesty is very, very normal. normal. What a lot of yeah, parents, people exactly. do. So they ended up, um, again, they ended up coming home around 1.15 a.m. in the morning. Okay. 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 So they actually pull up to their driveway, and of course you can imagine it's been raining, it's been, um, you know, raining, it's cold, there's mud everywhere. And then they um, immediately notice that the porch light is on, okay? The front window blinds are wide open, and um, as he's, as Mr. Romack is actually fiddling with his keys to unlock the front door, he realizes that the door is actually open. Oh, shit. He obviously was immediately worried as he gave Janet specific instructions before leaving. Um, as him and, and Mrs. Womack actually, um, Rom- Romack, I called her Womack, sorry. As he and Mrs. Romack walked to the front door, they were met with a grisly discovery. Janet Christman was found sprawled out on the living room floor in a pool of blood soaking through the shagged carpet. She had been violently raped and murdered. Her legs were spread out and the right, were spread out and her right slipper barely hanging on her foot. An electric iron that had been that had been snipped with a pair of scissors was bound tightly around her neck. And this poor girl, she was this three days before her her fourteenth birthday. That is awful. A few feet away was the land was a landline phone dangling off the hook. The reason why Anne was unable to get a response when she called earlier that evening. The sight of the horrifying scene sent Anne into a hectic state as she ran upstairs to check on her three-year-old son. The baby had never, hadn't been harmed at all. He was actually shockingly asleep during this whole oh, situation. Oh, my God. It appeared that Janet had put, a, put up a fucking fight um, against her attacker. Investigators found evidence of a struggle that stretched from the phone to the phone in the kitchen through the hallway to the living room and at the front of the house. Blood smears and fingerprints were found in the living room and the kitchen where the door had been unlocked and left ajar. There were wounds on both sides of her head including puncture marks that appeared to have been made by a small metal instrument. Her face appeared to be scratched by fingernails and the cause of death was ruled asphyxiation because they found the cord wrapped around her neck because of that though they felt like it was an inside job because the assailant obviously was familiar with the house to know where this iron was at to be able to 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 choke her to do what he did so the sheriff department arrived um to do their preliminary investigation um bloody fingerprints were taken um bloodhounds were ordered and brought from ogoa ogloa correction center the hounds tracked the scent from the home through heavy brush for about a mile out before they lost the trail. When they got back, they actually found a footprint in the mud of a male adult near a, a guarding instrument, a hoe, where the glass had actually been broken through. 
So this is actually where they where a lot of the people thought that this is where the the intruder actually gained access to the house. Like a break in. Mm-hmm. So the police the police chief asked the public to report anybody who had scratches, um, who looked disheveled, anybody that just didn't quite look right because of, of the horrifying way this girl died. She fought, and you knew some to, to whoever her attacker was wasn't leaving without a scratch. Right. Unfortunately, though, um, complications arose soon because it looks like the two separate police departments, because they were just right, they're like 100 yards, were they 100 yards or 100, yeah, out of city limits. Oh, so Jesus. So they had the two separate police police fighting over whose territory it pretty much was, yeah. See, so the battle of leadership had the separate agencies being uncooperative with one another, and though answers unraveled quickly, um, they actually both disagreed disagreed in how the intruder actually gained how access to the house. So the second thought from the other police was that um, because Mr. Romack had actually given specific instructions to Janet to not open the door, and if somebody came knocking to turn on the light, they felt like it was somebody who she actually knew or had recognized, um, and that's why she actually she had actually opened the door. They actually think that the shattered glass from the hoe um, was actually just a diversion to make it look like somebody actually broke in rather than coming through that front door. They said that the loaded gun um, nearby wasn't even touched, it wasn't moved, um, and like I had mentioned before, they thought it was an inside job because they knew where the electric iron was at. Somebody that's been in the house before. That's what they. That's what they honestly feel. So, like I said, this is where the two police actually disagreed in how this again, like this person got into the house. So, meanwhile, local officers, like I said, had gone around questioning um, Janet's friends, families, students from school. Um, during this process, along with local residents phoning in possible leads, leads um, potential suspects were formed. But unfortunately, because of the racial bias, they arrested a whole bunch of black men who um, didn't need to be. You know what I mean? It's just unfortunately that they did all this and it was fruitless. It was a waste of their time because none of them, all of them had alibis or all of them were other places and there was no um, indication that it was any of them. So of course, there were any it's always the, ones who the black guy arrested, did it. Right? But even with all that said, the police actually focused the investigation on one man, Robert Mueller. Um, Robert Mueller. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Mueller was a friend of Ed Romack and had been over to the house on several different occasions. He was 27 years old, and him and Mr. Romack had actually been friends since high school. After graduation, um, Mueller served in World War II as an Army Air Corps captain and had a distinguishable record. He later returned to Columbia, Missouri, overlooking his father's restaurant. Um, Mueller's Virginia Cafe, I guess is that's what it's called. And then he started working as a tailor, which I found odd as well, but okay. They said that many people had remembered him for dressing well and always carrying around a mechanical pen in his front shirt jacket pocket. I bet back in the 1950s, a mechanical pen was pretty, It's it was the shit, right? It was a hipster. He was a hipster back in the <laughs> days. I'm just saying he dressed well and had that sexy pen. Mechanical pen. <laughs> <laughs> So according to testimony later introduced to the grand jury, um, to even 
to see if they're going to even take him to trial. Mrs. Romack felt frightened and uncomfortable around him, said that he uh, had ran his hands across her breast a couple um, a couple days before that when they were Ew. alone. Yeah. Creepy. Mr. Romack also submitted testimony saying that Mueller had once told him he admired Janet's well-formed body. Um, when Mueller and Ed Romack reacquainted Ugh. after... What happened? I'm sorry. sorry. I'm I, just having a delayed reaction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining our husbands mm. reacting to that. That's just... It's fucking but disgustingly he, gross, I'm telling you. <laughs> it, it's really just nasty. Because um, she's only 13 years old. He's right. fucking 27. I mean, that's not right. You're not right. No. So. Not at all. Anyways, um, I guess Mueller leaving to the military um, and coming back, him and Mr. Romack, had, Ed Romack, had actually reacquainted themselves with each other. Oh, that sounded sexy, didn't it? They got <laughs> so reacquainted. Sorry. Okay, let's try that again. <laughs> So um, when Mueller obviously came back, um, him and Mr. Romack had actually gotten together, you know, um, reignited that friendship. Um, They shared a lot of mutual friends and they would frequently spend time together. Um, However, according to Mr. Romack, he did have a lustful eye for virgin women and spoke about a spoke about having a desire to defile somebody young. When I read that, I just I completely like he put it in those words. Yeah. Well, that's that's the, the 1950s. Yeah. My friend has a lustful eye. It was for the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> Education might have been a little bit better then. <laughs> Grammar, maybe. Just saying, maybe. Just check your lustful eye, man. No shit. Check you. Yeah. <laughs> so try poke it out with that fucking pen he carries in his pocket. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> Motherfucker. Right. Ugh. So um, he actually knew that Janet took care of the kids on multiple occasions. And so Mr. Romack had actually made had actually also made the comment that he would make um, lewd comments about her well-developed hips and breasts, which I just again, I was like immediately okay, creeper. Uh, so and back in the 50s, he I mean, well, back in the 50s, Mr. Romack didn't put his friend in check and say she's only a young it's a girl whole, Shut the i fuck mean up. i shouldn't even use this as an excuse but it feels like it was a whole different era it was you know what i mean and but it's still as disgusting as we feel about it now it was probably and i hate to say this so smack me afterwards but um it was probably more normal than i mean you hear about men in their 30s marrying 15 year old oh yeah girls all the time Probably earlier than the 50s. Yeah, like but our, just... our grandparents, like my grandma was like only 14, I think, when she got married to my grandfather and he was in his mid, mid-20s. Wow. Yeah, I think there was another story that I think somebody in our family member had married. I think he was in his 30s and married a 15-year-old girl. So I don't so get it. Thank now. God shit has changed because that is gross. I shouldn't say that. but Yeah, I it is. <laughs> it is gross. No, actually, I should say that. It's fine, fine, fine. Okay, so the morning of Janet's death, um, Mr. Mueller contacted Janet to see if if she would actually be available to babysit his kids for the night, but she declined. Obviously, she had already um, committed to the Romax to take care of their son. So Mr. Mueller actually had attended that same party that the Romax were actually at. But a few hours into the night, he excused himself, saying that he actually had to meet a doctor who was meant to tend to his son. So he disappeared for a few hours, and then he ended up coming back to the party later. Um, when the when the police actually questioned Mueller's doctor, they discovered that um, he was never at the Mueller residence at all that evening. Sounds about right. Right. 
Who um, goes to see a doctor like in the middle of a party? Oh, I got a doctor to go see. Yeah, well, it wasn't that. Oh, this doctor is going to meet me at my house. And I mean, maybe small towns, they still did that. And like they said, this they did say that it was a small college town. So I don't know if that was a norm for them. But either way, it sounded fishy. But Very obviously suspect. not because they just were like, oh, OK. And he came right and he came back. So right. they didn't think anything of it. To implicate Mr. Mueller even more, um, Mr. Romack actually got a call from the from Mueller at his father's home on the morning of the murder. I guess offering to help clean up any uh clean up any of the blood that you know had happened oh. that night before. Um, however, they said that he shouldn't even have known about that tragedy yet because it hadn't been printed out in the papers. Super suspect, right? Probably trying to look for stuff that he left behind. Pretty much. So according to um. Mr. Mueller, let's see here, sorry. So on top of all that stuff, um, Mr. Romack actually claimed that Mueller would later speak to him regarding the crime. Because, you know, you know, just with something horrific like that happening, I'm pretty sure it was just as easy as two friends just talking about some awful thing that happened at, at another friend's house. Um, he actually started detailing in how he thought that the crime actually unfolded, claiming that um, breaking the window to climb into the house um, would be too loud and noticeable. Instead, it would be much easier to knock on the door and say, hey, Mr. Romack sent me over here to get some more poker chips. Okay. Right? <laughs> I'm like, just just confess at this point in time. Either so, that or just shut the fuck up. Don't offer your two cents. Right? Or just keep talking. Oh and, another, oh, and that's not it, girl. There's there's more. So then I guess uh, Mr. Romack actually told the police that um, Mueller actually plainly just kind of told him, say, well, I might have done it and maybe just forgot about it. What? Yeah. Wait, I, I might have raped and killed a girl and maybe oops, forgot it just about it? my mind? Oh, that happens sometimes, right? Okay, that's weird. All right. So um, the problem is, is that um, the case against Mr. Mueller became problematic because on May 4th, Law enforcement um, compiled a bunch of evidence against him um, and went to his residence to talk to him. But rather than taking him back to the um, to the police station to actually interview him, they transport they transported him to a farmhouse outside of city limits and interrogated him at length and through the course of the night. Um, he eventually was taken to the state capitol and then he was given a lie detector test, which he passed. Interesting. So on May 24th, um, Judge W.M. Dinwiddle, which I'm like, what the hell what kind of name is that? But all right then. Dimwiddle? Yes. So at the- <laughs> <laughs> Dimwiddle. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you couldn't have wrote a better script. I'm telling you. So um, he actually um, impaneled a grand jury to examine the matter to find out if charges were actually going to be um, put against Mr. Mueller. However, because they said he was, um, because the police apartments wouldn't work together and because um he had actually passed that lie detector test and so that was the biggest damning evidence oh wow that got him off and there was never any charges um are you serious there was never any charges so unfortunately um they had to let him go free despite all the evidence actually pointing to him over time and legal issues, Robert Mueller was never charged, obviously, for what I had said. Um, the judge actually had scolded the two police departments for actually doing such a shitty job that they actually let this man go free. Good. So guess what he does, Alma? What? He tries to sue the police department, but lost a lawsuit. Afterwards, he, re- he relocates his family to Tucson, Arizona. Oh, great. And in 2006, he passed away at 83 years old. 
So anyway, so please tell me this crime was solved. No, it was <sighs> not. It's a yeah. No, I can't give so you that, that satisfaction. So that he was probably the guy. Yeah. So um, possible links is what they're saying. Um, that may whoever killed. Um, Janet, which we all know is this shitbag, Robert Mueller. They said about four years beforehand, Mary Lou Jenkins, who was killed two blocks away from the Romac home when they actually lived inside Columbia, they said that um, it was very similar to the way that Janet was brutally murdered. Oh, wow. They said that Mary Lou was at home while her mom was actually spending an evening literally a few houses away tending to an elderly couple, you know, just making them dinner, helping them out. The father was out of town, just on business. When Mary Lou's mother um, had to, she had to spend the night at this elderly home for whatever reason. They don't kind of um, give details in regards to that. But either way, they conjured up a plan that if there's any problems that um, Mary Lou would actually turn on a light and then lift up the shades um, and place a phone call. So late in the night, I know it's kind of strange that all these people having these kind of... Like same... I mean, was it a bad town? Yeah, that's just kind of when I was reading all this. I'm like, was it a bad neighborhood? But they... But everybody did the same thing whenever somebody came to the door. You turn on the light. You yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. They give these signals in case you're in trouble. Now, is it being just paranoid or is it... Because there's other articles I had read that it was actually a pretty decent little town. So you just don't know. Mary Lou's mom wakes up middle of the night, looks out her, uh, looks out the window, sees a light on her house because she's, again, she's only a few houses down. She sees the shades up, but um, she never received a phone call, so she didn't think too much of it. The following morning, she came home and stumbled upon the awful scene. Um, her daughter was, was dead on the floor. She had been raped, strangled, um, and strangled with an execution. With, oh, let's try. She had been raped and strangled with an extension cord. <sighs> these stories i know i'm so sorry that's okay so um floyd cockburn a trash hauler admitted to the murder and was sentenced to death um it looks like the police kind of did the same thing picked him up interrogated him for hours on end their that way thing. of course 1950s way we all saw la confidential Beat the shit out of him. um so when he was actually going to be executed he actually recanted his confession but the damage is already done, and they said that Mary Lou's case had been solved because of it. So, with all that being said, and no justice for really either one of those girls, this kind of turns a little bit to what I had mentioned earlier in, in regards to watching the movies with Talia. So, a lot of these, this is actually, they're saying, is the basis for a lot of the horror movies that actually came out in the 80s. So, the urban legend is um, a teenage girl is babysitting at night, Children have been put it, put to bed upstairs, baby downstairs watching TV, phone rings, she answers the phone, man tells her, have you checked the children? We all heard uh, this story a yeah. hundred times. So she hangs up and then he calls back, have you checked the children? Eventually the girl gets worried, calls the police, um, who tell her they're going to trace the call. And of course, where's the call coming from? upstairs inside the house when she runs outside she's met by the police because they're like get out of the house the calls are coming from inside the house she runs outside caught by the police of course the kids end up being murdered um upstairs so that's the whole urban legend that came from this actual story except with the twist and exactly the babies so thank god the baby well and the real story the baby was okay it's just tragic that this poor little girl died so Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of different movies. Um, the storyline kind of has been changed here and there, but 
I was actually reading this and I'm like, well, I guess it's the same format and the reason why I like certain movies because it was the movie. One of the movies was When a Stranger Calls, um, When a Stranger Calls Back, um, Black Christmas, let's see here, um, The Sitter, um, and it's all been, and then um, they all get redone again in the 2000s because, right. you know, they redo all the movies all the time. So um, that's my sad story in regards to Janet Christman and her... Sad, 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 sad circumstances and her death and how she inspired an urban legend. So, 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 so sad. Okay, guys, so we took a little break. Had some pizza, wine, and then we re-energized. And we actually recorded about 45 minutes of audio, (laughs) and then we couldn't hear a vet say a damn thing. And that is surprising, because usually I'm the loudest person on this fucking (laughs) podcast. I am just saying. (laughs) I feel like we were super funny, but now we're going to have to recapture all of that. Oh, no. It's okay. So we were actually talking about um, that October is Breast Awareness Month, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Check your boobs. Check the boobies. Check your man's boobs. Check your mams boobs. Don't forget to your check mams. underneath. Check your mams. <laughs> check your mams boobs. <laughs> Don't forget to check underneath your underarms because a lot of women uh, forget to check that, and you can you realize that you can't have lumps there too. Exactly. All right. So what else were we talking about? You were talking about Talia. You were I t- was just talking about Talia, urban legends. Um, how we saw the movies this weekend, how I came up with my story, that she was scared a little bit. She was like, when are you coming back over here to watch TV with me, mama? And I'm just like, I'm looking at my, I'm researching my podcast stuff. It'll be later. <laughs> God, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. You don't sound like that was real hilarious. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about like, oh my God, we lost all this audio. Anyways. It's so fine, fine, fine. That's the breaks. That's that's just part of the whole podcasting thing, I guess, you know. Although this wine is super doing. good. It, it is. I really love this wine. Yeah. It, I, <laughs> earlier you said something to me and I was like drinking the wine. I was like, wow, it tastes really good. And I kind of was like holding it in the back of my tongue, <laughs> like, you know, just enjoying, savoring it. And then, of course, oh, I know what you said. What did I say? You were talking about the hashtag. Oh, my gosh. So, so let me tell you. <laughs> tell a little story. So, anyways, I swear to God, I'm not this dingy in real life, but maybe I am. Just saying. So, um, I'm talking to Alma. Serious. Just serious as a heartbeat. And I'm talking about hagtashing. And then she starts laughing. And she starts telling me why she's laughing at me. And then. I do this every time. Like, I give her shit every time about her saying <laughs> hagtashing instead of saying hashtag. And at that moment in time... It dawned on her. It did. I thought I hit it pretty well, but Alma just bursts out laughing. She's like, the funniest thing is that you didn't even know until right now. And I'm like, wait, hashtag, wait. You're all confusing me. Then I started saying transviloquist and was it hashtagging? No, hashtashing. How about hashtashing? <laughs> we'll just stop over. <laughs> Anyways, wow. we left off on the last story. It was a little bit depressing. It was it was a sad story. It was so a very sad story. We just kind of had to take a break and eat something. And in between, we drink some wine. I think we need more wine, though. Um, do you think so? Uh-huh. Okay. I agree. It was 45 minutes of, of, of my whole story, pretty much. So I'm going to do this again, guys. I'm going to pour you extra then. Okay. All right. Hashtag toast. 
to the trials and tribulations of podcasting. No doubt. All right, guys. I'm going to do this. All right, Alma. All right. So my story. Okay. It's about the Salem witch trials. All right. <laughs> so in honor of October, and it's a spooky month, so I decided to do the Salem witch trials. Wow. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know Alma. <laughs> I felt like I've been doing. I did this one other time. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you're so mad. <laughs> you guys have no idea. <laughs> All I'm right. like, it's fine, 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 we Alma. Can do it again. We, we finished early. All right. So Salem, um, this little town of Salem, was founded in 1626 by Roger Conant. The ghost did that. <laughs> it was Matt. <laughs> I think we had too much wine in this tree. <laughs> All right. And a group of immigrants from Cape Ann. And the name Salem comes from the, the Hebrew Shalom. Okay. So it means peace. Oh. I don't think they're very so, peaceful. So far from what we're it about to talk about. It was not real peaceful. I'm no. just going to say. It was pretty fe- peaceful there, I guess, up until this time, um, which was 1692. The Salem Witch Trials occurred in colonial Massachusetts between, well, in the spring of 1692 and lasted until 1693. After a group of young girls in a Salem village claimed to be possessed by the devil and accused several local women of witchcraft. After everything was said and done... More than 200 people were accused of witchcraft, and 20 of those were executed. Wow. And I think I actually just recently read that it was, what, um, was it like a 300-year anniversary from that in 2006? Was it? Oh, yeah. Um, no. Ish? No. Ish? This would be like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to go with that. <laughs> She's looking at me like, Ish? <laughs> Not bish. <laughs> what I said is okay. So <laughs> we're so silly at this point now. We really are. All right. Okay. 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 Serious time. Belief in the supernatural and specifically in the devil's practice of giving certain humans, witches, the power to harm others in return for their loyalty had emerged in Europe as early as the 14th century and was widespread in colonial New England. And actually, it had already died down in Europe, this whole witch hysteria, and it was just barely taking hold in the Americas. So the people that that so the people that actually left Europe to come to the United States carried on those nasty traditions. But you have to think they were a lot of them were Puritans. Yeah. So the devil, he was bad. The devil did it. The devil done did it. All right. So it all starts in January of 1692. Uh, nine-year-old Elizabeth, known as Betty Paris, and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter and niece of Samuel Paris, minister of Salem Village, uh, began having fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts and sc- of screaming. Okay. Spank them. <laughs> Put them in a corner. <laughs> They're just real mad. No, <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> William Griggs, a local doctor, diagnoses her with bewitchment. That's such as you do. fucking craziness, isn't it? 
God dang, every toddler on the universe would be diagnosed. Can you imagine like some of the tantrums that teenagers have nowadays? Oh my God, all of our children would, would be tried as witches. You kidding me? <laughs> Talking back to their parents. Right. Especially a young girls. All right. Soon after, other young girls in the community began to exhibit similar symptoms, including Ann Putnam Jr. Women can be what? juniors. Yeah, I actually thought about that one time long ago. <laughs> that don't seem right. Elaborate. <laughs> no, I, I just thought, it's a fleeting thought at that. A, I'm just saying, it's just, a, it's just, just a not right. That popped up <laughs> it's like, can you imagine me naming Talia Yvette? That's a, that's Yvette craziness. Jr. Yvette Junior. Yvette Junior. That was oh no. although she she's kind of Yvette Junior. Oh, she really is. You <laughs> <laughs> have no idea. All right, so blah, blah, she blah, tries blah, blah. to run away from that, but all right, Ann Putnam Junior, Mercy okay. Lewis, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mary Walcott, and Mary Warren were the other girls that started exhibiting this behavior and these symptoms. In late February, arrest warrants were issued for the Paris Caribbean slave Tituba, along with two other women, the homeless beggar Sarah Good and the poor elderly Sarah Osborne. So that's 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 bullshit though, right? I mean th- Isn't that what they did though? It was it was usually the outcast, the unwanted, the, the, yeah, the old old the women crones and this homeless woman, this poor you, homeless You know woman. all these girls had some sort of epilepsy fits, right? And somebody came in and be like Demon, they're or being they were possessed. Just young girls just being weirdos, probably. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, if if we sat there and like some of the weird ass shit that our kids did as young kids and tried to like, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with that. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, I get you. Because I mean, in all reality, they're probably just girls being girls, probably being silly. You make up, you do shit all the time. I mean, you just told me a story about your son's fucking killing a bedroom for the two and a half seconds that you left them to go do some other laundry or something like that. Oh, yeah. Pulling the mattresses off of the bunk beds, turning over their dresser drawers. Um, kids are kids. They have imaginations. They, were they do what by you want to do. But, oh. <laughs> no, no, babe. I, I think when you walked into that bedroom, my mind. when you walked into that bedroom, you were possessed I, by the devil. Yeah, soon, ab- <laughs> soon after that, I was possessed by the devil. All right. <laughs> All right. Along with those women, Tituba came before the authorities in Salem Village in on March 1st, 1692, to answer to witchcraft charges. The first two suspects denied all knowledge of sorcery. When Tituba met her interrogators that Tuesday morning, she stood before a packed, nervous meeting house. It was the one in which she had pr- prayed in... <laughs> I think I already had practice at this, and I'm... <laughs> It's the line. It's fine, fine. All right. It was the one in which she had prayed for um, for the previous three years. Okay. She had already been deposed in prison. The local authorities seemed to understand before she opened her mouth that she had a confession to offer. Of course. I mean, what else was she going to say? I mean, she's she's a slave. Yeah. These she's young, a, these young Caucasian women seriously have accused her of witchcraft. She had no fucking say, I chance. Didn't do it. They're not going to believe her. How do you defend they yourself? They just throw her to the wolves. I mean, you, you just there's no winning in that case. And I'm going to tell you a story. Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> well, it's not really my Buttercup. story, but... <laughs> so you know how I, I keep telling you how much I love Burt Kritchner. So anyways, as you mentioned, that poor Tituba was like, um, she's either going to... I actually haven't gotten there yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, 
anyway, that. so like the interesting thing about Tatuba okay. is that she just brings it. Like she's been accused, and so she's just like, fuck it. I am gonna go all the way. I am gonna be the most dramatic person here. She just she just goes all the way with this. What are the choices she have though? Exactly. In all honesty, and like I said, it, well, like I said, I haven't said it yet. Burr, burr, burr. So. <laughs> So, for the third time, let's do this. So, anyways. So, anyways, it reminds me of a story that Bert Gretschner told. Okay, so he, this is a comedian that I absolutely love. If you ever are like my personal friend and actually see on my IG page, um, my best friend and my husband um, decided that after seeing this comedian, they were going to go shirts off and take a picture with him, which is totally off topic, but <laughs> for some reason, I'm just letting that fly. Either way, so he was telling a story just recently that... Um, he had to take his daughter, he had to go to a parent-teacher conference. So what happened is he got home really late from one of his shows, probably a little bit drunk, and so um, he had to obviously take his daughter to the school to parent-teacher conference. So so he um, took an Uber for one, so he was safe about it, but he grabbed two sodas on his way out. So while he's sitting there in front of the teacher, he cracks open his soda to take a big drink out of it because he needs a caffeine. He's only he's running on two hours of sleep. Realizes that the soda that he grabbed was not a soda but a Coors Light. So then it occurred to him he has two ways to go. He could either be really embarrassed, mortified, and shrink right back into the seat that he was already um, sitting in, or he was gonna chug that motherfucker and just see the look on the teacher's <laughs> face. So he went with the latter just to put that out there. So that's what I think of Tatuba. She's like, I ain't making out of the, I ain't making it out of here alive. I'm gonna make the best. So of this. my choices are I'm taking you and you <laughs> and you. <laughs> so anyways, okay. No other suspect would claim such attention. Multiple reporters sat poised to take down Tatuba's words, and someone, presumably um, the hard-edged 51-year-old John Hawthorne, the Salem Town Justice, who handled the bulk of the early dispositions, made the decision to interrogate her last. She, she, she began she, she, she. with she, 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 she. Check she, those. Check, check, check. <laughs> check those chichis. <laughs> She began with denial, one with which the court reporters barely bothered because they were like, this isn't the story. They didn't even start writing it down. All right. Hawthorne had asked the first suspects whom they employed to hurt the girls. And the question also went to Tatuba with a different spin. The devil came to me, she revealed, and bid me serve him. As a slave, she could not so easily afford to sound, sound a defiant tone. And it was indisputably easier for her to admit that she served a powerful man than it might have been for her fellow prisoners, both white women. In custody, one of those white women scoffed that the word of a smooth-talking slave should carry no weight. She was right about the smooth-talking part, but she was miserably wrong about the rest. You know what? I think about this for a minute, though. While she's sitting there saying this, what kind of attack poor Tutuba was actually taking on? Because in her desperation for living and to put blame on somebody else who at that time didn't mean anything, I can't imagine what her defense was to put all the blame on Tutuba. Right. And poor Tutuba's like, oh, hell no. You. No, 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 no. 
that's not how this is gonna happen. Nope. Because <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I curse you. I'm gonna die anyways, so I'm gonna make this good. I'd haunt every motherfucking person. Ugh. All right, let's see where was I? Who was it? Demanded Hawthorne. Who tortured the poor girls? The devil, for all I know, said Tatuba. Tatuba. It <laughs> <laughs> makes me mad. I can almost see Tatuba being like. The devil, for all I know, I have to tell you, little bitches be putting me on the stand. I didn't do shit. I wiped their asses. God damn. You fucked me and then you fucked me. <laughs> okay, so Tatuba rejoined, be, rejoined before she began describing him to a hushed room. She introduced a full malevolent cast. So she really, she just went all the way Medea with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> she, all right. She introduced a full malevolent cast, their animal accomplices and various superpowers. Wow. A sort of satanic Scheherazade. I hope I said that right. She well, was masculine. I was like, how does that even spelled? <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you later. <laughs> She was masterful and gloriously persuasive. Only the day before, a tall, white-haired man in a dark serge coat had appeared. He traveled from Boston with his accomplices. He ordered Tatuba to hurt the children. He would kill her if she did not. Had the man appeared to her in any other guise, asked Hawthorne. She had seen a hog, a great black dog, a red cat, a black cat, three partridges, and a pear tree. <laughs> A yellow bird and a hairy creature <laughs> that walked on two legs. Another animal had turned up too. She did not know what it was called and found it difficult to describe, but it had wings and two legs and a head like a woman. So uh, it was real hard for her to describe exactly what she described. <laughs> I, well, okay. It had wings, two legs, and a head like a woman. What kind of shit is that? Okay. Doesn't a woman have two legs? Or wings? What, oh, <laughs> couldn't she just say a woman with wings? <laughs> Is it like fucking evil Tinkerbell? <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. A canary accompanied her visitor. Okay. <laughs> if she served the black-coated man, she could have the bird. Apparently she oh, really wanted the canary. That bird. I want a bird. She, <laughs> I would do anything for that bird. <laughs> All right. Um, I was like, fuck these two little bitches. I'll do anything for that bird. The golden canary. She implicated her two fellow suspects. One had appeared only the night before with her cat while the Paris family was at prayer. She had attempted to bargain with Tatuba, stopping her ears so that Tatuba could not hear the scripture. She remained deaf for some time afterward. The creature she claimed to have so much trouble describing, and which she described vid vividly, okay, <laughs> was, she explained Hawthorne's other suspect in disguise. As hysteria spread throughout the community and beyond into the rest of the Massachusetts, a number of others were accused, including Martha Corey, and eventually her husband, and Rebecca Nurse, both regarded as upstanding members of ch church and community, and the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. Oh, that's so sad. You know, I know we're laughing and, and, and talking a bunch of shit, but in reality, can you imagine that? They're probably being accused for simply just being outspoken, maybe a little defiant. And I say a little bit because especially in those day and age, you really, women were regarded as shit. Right. Well, think about it. It's just like a, a ripple effect. So these girls make this accusation and then 
those three women point out a few other people and the, those other people point out a few other people because what choice do they have? They're like, okay, who do I choose out of all my neighbors? Okay, who wronged me in the past? See, who pissed it, me off? Who's weird? Who's, yeah. Who doesn't matter? Who doesn't matter? Yeah, and I think, and I and I sit there and I, and I, and I, because I've heard some about these, some, well, <laughs> Um, I've actually listened or um, have seen some of the Salem witch trials or even read briefly, of course. Um, but I mean, it was it was at a point to when they were interrogating. They weren't just interrogating forcefully. They were being tortured. They were being um, they were scared for their lives. They were desperate to live. Right. So it was either you pointed somebody else or you died. Right. And so I can't imagine how this actually continued to progress from pointing from one person to another person to another person because no more, you know, because they didn't have any other choice. They didn't, at least they felt in their desperation to want to live. This is what they were doing. Well, apparently there was a, sh- a sheriff, Corwin. Okay. Um, his favorite way to interrogate people was to strangle them. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> he got he got the nickname the Strangler. Oh my god! And I'll, I'll bring that up later, but yeah. Like Tatuba, several accused witches confessed and named still others, and the trial soon began to overwhelm the local justice system. In May 1692, the newly appointed governor of Massachusetts, William Phipps, ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer (parentheses to hear like Oyer). Okay. <laughs> And Terminer to decide. Um, I don't want to live there. Yeah. <laughs> it don't sound like a good place at all. Yeah. I'm brown, so it probably wouldn't go real well. <laughs> well, you're not that brown. Uh, well, whatever, I'm brown. <laughs> you could pass. You could pass. <laughs> I'm burly. <laughs> <laughs> except, except for when you say hashtag. <laughs> Hagtash. All right. And... Uh, Made me lose my place. <laughs> and Terminer it's to decide. It's not the first or the last. Nope. On witchcraft cases for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex ca- County. Um, That's just insanity that they actually formed. A special court. A special court in order to be able to crucify innocent women. Yeah. That's amazing. Presided over by judges including Hawthorne, Samuel Sewell, and William Stratton, Stoughton. The court handed down its first conviction against Bridget Bishop on June 2nd. My birthday. Oh, sad. She was hanged eight days later on what would come to be known as Gallows Hills in Salem Town. So was he the first, was he the first guy to die in Salem? She the, was. She yeah. was, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then five more people were hanged that July. Wow. Five in August and eight more in September. In addition, seven other accused witches died in jail. I don't like that they say accused witches. Accused people? Like, they're not witches. No. Nobody in this whole scenario was actually a witch. A witch. Maybe those little girls. (laughs) Started it all. Fuck them girls. (laughs) Little bees. Well, the elderly Giles Corey. God, I hope they didn't die. (laughs) No, they did not. Oh, Okay. Giles Corey, or Giles Corey, Martha's husband, was pressed to death by stones after he refused to enter a plea to his arraignment. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, well, you won't think he's so sad in a minute. (laughs) Nearly 200 people overall had been accused of practicing the devil's magic. Following the trials and executions, many involved, like Judge Samuel Sewell, publicly confessed error and guilt on January 14th, 1697. Wow. A little late. The general court ordered a day of fasting and soul-searching. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to eat for a day. Fuck? What the fuck? Okay, you just fucking massacred a shit ton of people, but by all means, don't eat today. 
Yeah. Because I feel really bad. You know what? I feel so bad. I'm not going to eat today. You know what I really think? That's I, my punishment. I really think that the, the people that actually convicted him so harshly and without any real proof should be hanging the same places that they hung them other people. Well, at least one of them, like, I think his karma came and got him a few years later. In 1702, the court declared trial the trials unlawful. No. Oh, really? <laughs> And in 1711, the colony passed a bill restoring the rights and good names of those accused and granted 600 pounds restitution to their heirs. Wow. Oh. Gee, thanks. I'd rather have my uh, my mom back. Right. Thanks Husband. For the 600 pounds. Child. I wonder what 600 pounds was back then. Probably a lot. No. Not enough. However, it was not until 1957. Oh, my God. More than 250 years later. I was close to the three year, 300 year ish timeline earlier. It's right. just a few years. Alma. Alma. The Massachusetts formally apologized for the events of 1692. It only took a couple centuries. They were close. Close ish. but no cigar. That was close ish. All right. So let's get down to the, the whole reason I tell this story. Okay. The hauntings. Uh, uh. So several places around um, Salem have reported hauntings. And we're going to start with uh, Giles Corey. Um, I mentioned his wife, Martha, and he's the one that was actually had it. He was pressed. Okay. Giles Corey was a support who was a supporter of the witch trials. And that's the guy that was pressed, right? Yeah. Fuck that guy. And he'd even testified against his own wife. That's fucked up. That's <laughs> so fucked he up. He must not have Divorce liked his a wife. Bitch, but why? You he gotta was a be supporter. Like, She's a bitch. Did you say she was a witch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yep. That's exactly what I said. That all changed when he was accused of being a warlock or a male witch himself. He refused to enter a plea during the. I was just remembering. What <laughs> came back to me right now. All right. He refused to enter a plea during his trial, leading Sheriff Corwin to torture him in the hope of securing a confession. Okay. I'm laughing. This poor, this, I, don't, I guess not so poor guy, because bastard, he accused his wife of being a witch, but we're laughing at his expense. Um, Corey was publicly pressed to death, and the extreme nature of his punishment led many to question the validity of the witch trials. During his torture, Corey reportedly shouted at Sheriff Corwin. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to say it like somebody being pressed. <laughs> Damn you. I curse you to Salem. <laughs> Fuck you. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I curse you and Salem, not to Salem. <laughs> Four years later, Corwin died suddenly of a heart attack at the age of 30. He was the, the strangler dude. So I told you, karma finally got him. He was cursed by yeah. the pressed guy. Four years later. I can't later. believe he turned on his wife. That's not a very good husband. Again, <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> Oops, you got pressed. <laughs> You feeling real pressed? God, can you imagine how awful that is? I mean, I like on a on another note, that must be horribly long and awful. What an awful way to die! I mean, do you shit out your insides, or? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was horribly graphic and not funny at all. But if you saw Elmo's face right now, 
Have I ever mentioned that I'm a visual person and so when you say things <laughs> sometimes this vision just pops into my head. <laughs> oh okay. I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't funny, but No. I'm sure it was. It's funny to us now and I don't for the life of me know why. Look at people like for tutuba that's what I'm saying. I'm going with that. Fuck All you. Right. Fuck that guy for Tutuba. Okay, Corey's ghost, down to the ghosts. All right, sorry. Is now believed to haunt the Howard Street Cemetery where he appears as a bad omen, apparently. Damn, that man fucking is bad news wherever he Well, goes. he was cursing people. Curse you. Curse and you. Salem. <laughs> Witnesses like, I... saw his ghost just before the Great Salem Fire of 1914. So he was like a harbinger of whatever. Of sorts. Yeah. Then there's the Joshua Ward home. Okay. Um, retired sea captain Joshua Ward had his brick mansion built in the mid-1780s. During the 1680s, the land had been owned by the notorious sheriff George Corwin, also known as the Strangler. Nineteen men and women were executed under his watch during the witch trials. Okay, so like... So 19, 19 men, men and women. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that when we were actually um, investigating anything in regards... Or just... Well, mostly we're investigating anything in regards to which... Um, the, I'm sorry, the Salem witch trials is that I think we predominantly hear about the women. But it's amazing. They executed the exact amount in men as well. Right. Well, I guess if you, like, name somebody as your enemy, it could be anybody. But for the most part, it was women. Yeah. After Corwin's sudden death, okay. you know, that heart attack he had for being a bastard, <laughs> in 1697, his family had him interred in the cellar, because, you know, that's what you do, when it's too cold outside to bury him, and they were worried about Salem residents dismembering his corpse. Uh, yeah, I seriously, I can imagine that. I would have been like a hand here, pinky there, balls right up here, on a stake for all to see. Visuals. <laughs> <laughs> Again. <laughs> His body remains. It looks in the like house. Gonzo with the eyes and the nose for the penis. <laughs> this is what happens when we have to re record. We go completely off the fucking rails. <laughs> I have to catch up to there. <laughs> His body remained in the house for several years before being moved to the Broad Street Cemetery. Several ghosts now reportedly haunt the spot where <laughs> Joshua Ward's house now stands, of course, including Corwin himself and the spirit of one of his victims. There were three spirits that supposedly haunt the Joshua Ward house. For years, people have reported being choked by invisible hands that are usually attributed to the ghost of the Strangler. Okay, ugh. Another is the spirit of Giles Corey. That guy gets around... The guy that got pissed. He's like, God He's like, I have to be a ghost in this house too. I gotta be spreading myself around. <laughs> Boom, motherfucker. And he runs around to another place. Boom. Start again. Why do birds suddenly appear? All right, Corey, after being accused of being a warlock, he often is responsible for trash cans being kicked over, books being pulled. He's mad. He's just walking around just kicking shit. He's like, fuck. Why am I stuck in this fucking house? Goddamn garbage can is in my way. Because you're evil. That's why, motherfucker. 
Books being pulled from shelves, cold spots, and candles that are often found in a puddle of wax, even though they have never been lit. That's crazy. The most famous ghost at the Joshua Ward house is the spirit of an innocent woman who was accused and killed for being a witch. Amazingly, she was photographed by a visiting realtor one afternoon, standing in the hallway of the mansion. When the picture was taken, no one was present, but once the image developed, um, the image of a woman with wild black hair appeared. That is so crazy. That totally fucking creeps me out. I saw this picture, so I'm going to go ahead and put it no, up no, on the no, website. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Damn. I am. Needless to say, the realtor left the house quickly. You think? Yeah. Motherfucker <laughs> be like, bye. bye. I saw your own house. <laughs> <laughs> the House of the Seven Gables. That's a tongue twister. Yeah. Uh, the name made famous by Nathaniel Hawthorne, author of The House of the Seven Gables and The Scarlet Letter. Okay. The famed House of the Seven Gables was built by the sea by sea captain John Turner. There's a lot of sea captains. I was going to say that same thing. <laughs> All right, in 1668, and three generations of the Turner family lived there before it was sold. The new owner, Captain Samuel Ingersoll, eventually... Another captain? Yeah. Or same captain? Another captain. Captain, oh, captain, my captain. I know that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying captain. (laughs) Maybe there's some rum under the house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Eventually... Left the house to his daughter, Susanna, who was a cousin of Nathaniel Hawthorne. His visit to her house inspired him to write The House of the Seven Gables. Today, it is said that Susanna's ghost can still be seen wandering the halls and looking out the windows. Strange sounds are heard, and the ghost of a friendly child reportedly lives in the attic. The house is now a museum, so you can make your own ghost hunting visit if you dare. And that really didn't have anything to do with the witch trials, but it's another haunted place in Salem. Jonathan Corwin House or the Witch House. It was the home of Judge Jonathan Corwin, who presided over the Salem witch trials and sent 19 innocent people to their deaths. It's now the only structure still standing in Salem that has direct ties to the witch trials, and it's open to the public as a museum. That's insane. I like, was. I, I thought this house. If you like, look up a picture of it, and I'll. I'll actually put one on the website but it's a pretty freaky looking house it looks scary and ominous really ominous so i was looking trying to find something um i didn't find i barely found anything on this house um but apparently it was featured on ghost adventures and the investigators experienced cold breezes felt touches on their arms and they heard the sound of a child's voice that's crazy that's creepy as hell yeah i mean there's a lot of things that are creepy obviously but hearing that, like something innocent like that, yeah, it just, it just seriously like hits you to the core. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. you're like, oh, poor baby, go to the light. Poor baby, that totally creeps me out, though. Yeah, innocent things same. like that, babies crying, that in an abandoned Child's house voices. totally freaks me out. Yeah, and then last but not least, the Hawthorne Hotel. Um, it was built fairly recently in 1925. Okay, in relation to everything else. And named after their very own Salem author, Nathaniel Hawthorne. It's a very stunning old hotel, according to this article that I copied and pasted from. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the hotel was built on the land that Bridget Bishop, the first accused and killed at the Salem Witch Trials, um, it seems that Bridget has taken up residency in the hotel. Well, I mean, it used to be her house there. To, I'm just saying, it's like property. building on an old Indian burial ground. Yeah. You you just don't do well, that then, on like, sacred Well, then, like, her energy's left there, so. Um, mm-hmm. And especially the way she died, and being the first of everybody. 
There are many reports of a sweet smell of apples that drift through the hotel that comes from nowhere, and Bridget grew apples when she was alive. <clears throat> Other weird smells also smelled by the guests and staff, and unexplained noises are often heard, and weird mists appear out of nowhere. That is um, my story of the Salem witch trials, and that's pretty much all I got for tonight. Do you have anything else? Um, Don't forget, it's um, Touch Your Boobies Month, so... <laughs> You should do it every month, but this is (laughs) Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so especially this month, you should uh, go ahead and feel yourself. Yeah. Don't forget, underneath the arms, um, a lot of people miss that. Uh, Check your men's chest because um, it's a fact that men actually can get breast cancer too, so... And tell your daughters. Definitely. It's it's never too young to start telling them once they start um, getting those little mosquito bites. (laughs) We have to make them aware at a very young age. Definitely. Alrighty. Well, I guess that's that's all we got for tonight. Definitely. Um, I'm Yvette. I'm Alma. And this is Tipsy Tells. Good, Good night. night. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Tipsy Tales. Music by Jesse Pesqueda. Artwork by Sergio Hernandez. And if you're listening on iTunes, please don't forget to rate and review. Thanks.